The Beer EDU Podcast, Episode 119, Educational Equity with Philip Cutler. Welcome to the Beer EDU Podcast, the podcast for educators that love to learn and share ideas with fellow educators over beers, with your hosts, Kyle Anderson and Ben Dixon. Kyle, my friend, what is up? Benjamin, good to see you once again. How are you? I am good. This is episode 119 of the Beer EDU podcast. I am Ben Dixon. You can check me out on Instagram and Twitter at bdixonnv. And I do have a blog-ish. I posted something on it. Uh, there might be something more coming up. So that's bdixonnv.wordpress.com. And you, my friend... My name is Kyle Anderson. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Anderson EdTech. I have a blog that I have been neglecting as of late at AndersonEdTech.net. And I'm also the author of To the Edge Successes and Failures Through Risk Taking. You can learn more about that at ToTheEdgeEDU.com. It's available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and also through my publisher, EduMatch Publishing. And if this is the Beer EDU podcast, we drink beer and we talk about said beer. So Ben, You've yes. got one that I'm stoked to hear about because this sounds amazing. So why don't you go yeah. ahead first? Yeah. So I went with typically people listening to this podcast know I love an IPA. That is my go-to, but I'm really trying to branch out. Uh, you, my friend, I know enjoy a good porter. Um, so I thought, you Absolutely. know what? It's getting cooler, you know, Northern Nevada. We're, you know, our high on any given day is 43, 44. So the nights are cold. Good time for a porter. So I went with a, it's Breckenridge Brewery out of Colorado. It is their vanilla porter. It is 5.4% uh, ABV, 16 IBU. So really smooth pours like a typical porter. Just, you know, you're not going to get a lot of head out of it or anything like that. It's just that nice dark color. Um, chocolate in there like it's got some nuttiness definitely vanilla you can taste that in there and it's just it's a smooth porter just you know definitely not a lawnmower beer perfect for a nice cool winter night so yeah it's a good one i would recommend it well and you say porter so uh is this one a little bit thinner than you would say like a lot of like stouts and whatnot so yeah like on it's the not a field? stout so it's it's definitely not as thick as a stout so you're gonna it's it's but it's in that you know the, the my go-to porter it would be deschutes brewing black Butte, the oh their, that's a great one. porter that is like like my my dad if we go out and we go to a brewery and like i always joke my dad my dad i used to ask him where are you going to be tonight? He goes, I'm going to church, which meant for my dad saying going to church was Great Basin Brewery. That's where you were going to find him. And he was always going to have a porter. So I would, I would, I would meet my old man there, you know, quite a bit and we'd have a beer. My dad's go-to was a porter. So um, yeah, I, it's just a, a smooth drinking, um, not as thick as a stout, um, but yeah, just a, an easy going, easy going beer. You know, definitely though, not well, when you're going to pound a bunch of. No, but so while you were explaining that, I, I started to think a little bit. I'm like, why do I feel like maybe I've had this before now? So I went back okay. into Untapped and I looked for it, and I have one check into it back in October of 2017 I, at City National Arena, where the Golden Knights uh, practice facility uh, is. Uh, I checked in there and had one of these a few years ago. I rated it back then as a 3.5, which. For me, that's a little bit low. Like my check-ins tend to, if I like them a lot, they tend to go towards the four. So I may have to go find this and try it again. So funny you say that. Like our, like interestingly, so one of the things about Untapped, if you're not using it, I feel like Untapped should hook us up somehow. But um, so I have friends. I always look to see what my friends. Eight of eight of eight people that, and I think we connect with all the same people usually on Untapped. Um, eight people have had it. My check-in on it was, I think I was like right in there with you. I don't think I had like, I think mine was like a 375. I mean, like I said, my, my go-tos are IPAs. That's my solid, like I'm a, you give me a good IPA. I'm anywhere from a 4.25 to a 4.5. 
Um, but yeah, this one was, you know, it was, it was, like I said, it was good. It tasted good. I gave it, actually I gave it a four. So there we go. There you go. Yeah. I've got 12 friends in common on untapped that have had the beer. So yes, it is a kind of common. So, yeah. So our, our friend John Van Dusen definitely has had one and yeah, there's, yeah, there's a bunch of people on here that we have had, we have, uh, we have shared this beer before. So, but you, my friend, what you have something a little different. Yeah. And it's um, one that um, I, I don't want to say this is common. Like, I mean, this isn't like a <laughs> macro brew by any means, but no. this is one that if you talk to somebody that drinks beer, if yes. they haven't had it, they at least know of it. I think it's that popular. And that is a Spoetzel Brewery Scheinerbach. Yep. Yes. Now, I always thought the name of the brewery was Shiner and that it was their Bach. Thought that forever. <laughs> Shiner is the city in Texas where the Spoetzel right. Brewery is located. Okay. And I actually went on to a website to see how that's pronounced ahead of time. And I think I'm getting it right. That okay. it's spelled S-P-O-E-T-Z-L. And they basically broke it down to say an S sound and then say poet and then zeal. Okay. So Spo Spoetzel, something like that. So right. I might be close. I may not be. I don't know. But either way, 4.4% ABV, 13 right. IBU. Wouldn't call it a lawnmower beer. I, no. I, I would not want to suck these down when it's 105 degrees. But on a decent winter day like you're talking yeah. about or, or like a nice cool spring night or something like that, it's got a light roastiness. It's got a nutty character, a little bit of caramel. It, it's decent. Like, I don't rate this one super high, but it's, right. it's decent beer. And I, it's funny, I Shiner, or the city of Texas where Spoetzel is located, they make all sorts right. of beers. I'm not sure if I've ever had another beer by the brewery. I Okay, so great thing. That is how I know the beer. I know it's Shinerbach. I know it's from Texas. That's all I know. And so, like, I will buy that beer. Like I'm with you. I I always thought it was Shiner was the brewery and it was a Bach. Yeah. So. So. Yeah, I mean, but from it's, what it's I, a good what, solid beer. It's a good lager. Yeah, when right. I've looked at other beers from Spoetzel, all of their beers typically have Shiner in the name. They're very proud of the town that they are brewing in. So like, I think there's a there's a holiday brew like a Christmas ale that they make that is yeah. called like Shiner Christmas Ale or something. So uh, okay. I, like I said, I haven't had any other than the Bach. I don't think. I I've never have so like I'd have to look it on tap. I'm I'm almost sure I've never bought it unless I've had it like out and and gotten it at a bar. But right. no, no, it's a good. That is like you said, it's a good. You can't go wrong. You walk in to the convenience store, you see it. That's a that's a go to. And we always have a guest on the Beer to You. So we have Philip Cutler joining us. Philip, how are you? I'm doing great, gentlemen. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Yeah, awesome, absolutely. Man. And you're coming at us uh, north of the border, the, uh, the true north, strong and free, uh, Quebec. That's right. Yes. Although I'll be honest with you right now, I'm, I'm in Arizona, so I'm escaping. Oh, the, uh, <laughs> oh yeah. I'm escaping you're, the winter. You're doing it's the Canadian smart. snowbird things. So. That's, That's a, a smart no shame. man. No, not at all. I, where I'm at in Las Vegas, uh, I, I think half the plates on the road this time of year are Manitoba or... Ontario, British Columbia, they're all Canadian plates this time of year. So smart people escaping the cold. Right. If I know, and I I mean, and where I'm at, and I mean Kyle, we're what I'm like six or seven hours from you. I mean, the weather could not be any different. Although it is it was a balmy 45 today, so I'm not gonna complain. <laughs> not like Canada. I can't even go there, so I'm not even we gonna were we, we've been in a bit of a, a cold spell in Montreal, but um here in Phoenix, it's uh, oh, it's yeah. actually been been pretty nice. It gets cold at night, though. It definitely gets That's chilly true. at night. Yeah. Um, but you know, probably not so different from Vegas, honestly. Uh usually Phoenix is about five to ten degrees warmer in the summertime, yeah. and yeah, wintertime about the same thing. So I imagine we've been in the low sixties last few days. I'm sure you're probably about the same, maybe even closer to seventy right yeah. there in Phoenix right now. So yeah, not too much difference. So, but um, so. We've gotten through you. You're in Arizona, but you're from Canada. But you also you're a beer drinker, so you got a beer. <laughs> yeah. So what? So what beer do you got? 
So I figured I'm, I'm, I'm here. I'm in Scottsdale, um, you know, golfing capital USA. So I brought my, uh, my preferred golf beer out with me. So I've got myself a Miller light, um, probably not the beer I would drink if I was at a bar, but definitely great on the golf course. That, you know, that's, that actually is a good call. I would say, and Kyle, I would say Miller light is the, maybe one of the quiz essential lawnmower beers. Yeah, and I would say that of the big three of Bud Light, Miller Light, Coors Light, Miller Light is probably the one I drank the most um, in my life. So Coors Light being a second there on that one. And I have, and it's on this show, I will purchase Miller High Life. I know I will buy not just a six pack, I will buy a case of Miller High Life. I like it. I, it's, you know, I, the there's no bad beer. We, there's no bad beer. We, have, we do not judge. Well, I appreciate no, that. there is not. So, all right. So now, Phil, so this is the part where we want to get to know you a little bit. Uh, your educational journey, um, you're, you're not exactly in education at this point, so you've got a really cool story that kind of leads to that. So let, let's get the Cliff's notes. So first, like how you got into education, where it brought you, and then like then we can start kind of getting into what you do now because I'm very intrigued by what you're doing now. Yeah, well, happy to sort of give, give my journey, Kyle. I, um, I started my career as a classroom teacher, but before that, I studied education at McGill University in Montreal. So I, I studied to be a teacher. I played football while I was there. Um, really enjoyed it. It was interesting because I had to toggle uh, student teaching and, and playing football and felt like there was a lot going on during those years. Um, but it was great. It really taught me a lot. Um, you know, enjoyed that time enormously, learned an enormous amount about being a teacher. Although I'll say this, I, I don't know if you can really learn in a classroom how to be a, a teacher. You really have to be on the job and, and, and doing that. And so that's where those practicums came in, into play. And then eventually, um, you know, when I started my career in the classroom. It became pretty clear that um, teaching was a lot harder than folks had made it out to be, to be perfectly honest. Um, and so I, I ended up teaching sixth grade. Um, which I really enjoyed. It was, um, you know, in my school, at least, it was the last year of elementary. So I was like the homeroom teacher responsible for teaching all the subject areas. We had experts for French, art, and phys ed. So I had to do all the, the, the core classes, uh, math, English, science, history, all of that. Um, and it wasn't necessarily the best in all of those. I was a pretty strong math teacher, but the others I was sort of figuring it out, I would say. Um, but I enjoyed it. You know, it was it was difficult. And pretty early on um, in my career, I recognized the fact that I had students who were hiring private tutors. You know, their families were were um, were getting them extra help, sometimes participating in homework help programs. Um, but it was rarely the students I felt needed the help the most. It was generally the students whose families just had the most money. And as a teacher, and you both know this, the expectation was I assess every student the same, but I knew they didn't have the same resources and it didn't feel very fair to me. Um, and when I looked into the market, I realized that there was nothing really that existed for the 80 to 90% of students that I felt needed the help, but didn't, you know, they weren't getting it. Um, and there were a ton of options for that 10 to 20% of families that could afford 50, 60, $100 an hour for private tutoring. Um, and I just felt that I was in inequity. I felt that the school was should have been responsible for providing some support in that nature and um, ended up leaving teaching to start paper seven and a half years ago. Uh, and it's been a journey ever since. So real quick question, because I'm a former college football player, went to school to become a teacher myself. So first, what position did you play? I played linebacker. Linebacker, so okay. I... Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I played linebacker, and interestingly, um, so our, our school, McGill, we were, we were pretty bad. Um, I don't think I won a game the three years I played there, which was, which was tough. Uh, but we actually had a, a couple stars on the team, um, one of whom ended up playing or still plays in the NFL, Laurent Duvernay-Tardif. So some, some people know him. He's a doctor, played O-line for Kansas City. Now he's on the Jets. So I actually lined up against him almost every play for three years. And he was, uh, I, I was playing linebacker and then he was, he was at that time playing guard or sorry, he's playing tackle. Now he plays guard. Um, but anyway, so that, that was interesting. And then one of my best friends, a couple of the guys ended up playing in the CFL, which is the, uh, the Canadian football, right? Yep. So they still play. 
you know, my uh, one of my coaches in college is a CFL legend. Where if you mention his name around a Saskatchewan Rough Rider fan, and they almost hit the ground. Uh, uh, Bobby Jurison was one of my coaches. So, uh, just a, I think he's still number two on the all-time list for career sacks in the CFL. So, um, like I said, whenever I see someone wearing a Saskatchewan Rough Riders hat or something, I mention like, "Hey, Bobby Jurison was one of my coaches." They're like, "No way!" And just <laughs> it starts a great conversation. So. Um, and then the other question I wanted to ask real quick that not related to paper or your teaching career is that in Quebec, you, you mentioned the English and the French classes. So is that a requirement for all students that they take both English and French? Because I know it's a bilingual province, but um, I didn't know if uh, the French speaking students had to take English or the English taking French or vice versa. So, so what does that look like in the province? Yeah, so th that's a great question. I mean, th there's an expectation that most students are going to be taking classes in English and French. Um, so the way it works, there's actually laws around this. Um, so in Quebec, you're required to study in French unless you have an exemption. And the exemptions could be things like your parents studied in English, for example. But for, for the majority of folks, um, they don't really have a choice. They have to go to a French school um, if they're in the public system. Um, and so those schools will all teach French as well. In my particular case, when I was a student, um, my school, so it was an English school, my parents were, were educated in, in English schools as well. So I was eligible, um, but it was an immersion program. So I actually learned French while I was in an English school for you know, half the years or so. Um, and then in high school, it sort of transitioned over to being primarily in English. Uh, but yeah, so like your, your exit exams for high school, you have to pass both English and French. That, yeah, that's interesting wow. because I know, I mean, as a, as a big hockey fan, you know, I know that whenever somebody new gets hired by the Montreal Canadiens or a new player comes in, the first question is, well, are they Francophone? So, you know, I know I know what yeah. a big deal it is. But so I've never been to Quebec. I've always wanted to go to Montreal and Quebec City and just see it and everything. But uh, uh, right now is definitely not the time to try to do that. I would uh, do it in but, the summer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, well... I mean, it would be fun to ice skate the river, <laughs> you know, but, but no, one of these times I do want to get there, but no, I always, um, I've always been intrigued by that. So uh, I had one year of French when I was in high school. So, I mean, I can say a handful of things, but I mean, that was 20 some odd years ago now. So I barely have any French skills at this point. So, but uh, so I do want to pivot back the French in, the, in this podcast. No, 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 but I do, I do want to flip it back though. You, you talking about seven and a half years ago, you started this company called paper and, uh, it's, it's obviously, it's a company that's geared towards education and, uh, being more equitable for students uh, of all ages, I'm assuming. So I, I, I want to hear a little bit more about what it is and what your company does. And then, uh, really how like you just you got out of the classroom to start that company because I mean that's a big step yeah that's what yeah. I'm interested in that's a huge jump <laughs> yeah I mean there's a lot of talk now about the you know, sort of transitioning teacher right especially over the last couple of years I mean I can only imagine how difficult it's been on on especially new teachers because you know you're you're already learning something that I think can really be only learned on the job it's so difficult to you know to you know the classroom management preparation and just, you know, like it's, it's challenging. And, and the last couple of years have been really difficult on, on the education system. I think it's really opened the eyes for a lot of folks and say, Hey, you know, maybe I'm going to look at other careers other than being a classroom teacher. Um, I mean, my, you know, my excuse wasn't that I, I saw this opportunity and I just said, you know, I, I'm really somebody who thinks a lot about like, you know, leveling the playing field. Fairness is really important. Right. Equity is really important to me. And, and all of those things, um, you know, were sort of key parts to the mission behind paper. And so when I started to see students that I felt needed help but not having the resources to get it, you know, to me, I, I thought there has to be a way to solve this problem. And it really drove me out of the classroom. Look, it was definitely, I knew nothing, right? And, and I've written about this quite a bit that um, starting the company, I, I literally had no idea what I was doing. You know, I was, um, I was going on meetup.com because I didn't know much about startups and technology businesses. You know, again, I studied to be a teacher. I didn't study business. I, you know, I had started a business previously, uh, but that was a summer day camp. So pretty straightforward business model. You know, it, it, was, it was pretty easy to run. Right. There wasn't any sophisticated, you know, you hire basically other college students 
Right. And, you know, you, you basically get families from the area to send their kids to you know, your camp. Like it wasn't so complex. Um, mm-hmm. Running a technology company is really different. And so I had to learn all this on, on the go and, and you, know, you can read the books and stuff like that, but you know, it, it doesn't really do it justice. And so for a while, um, you know, it was difficult for me to, to figure out exactly how to get this business off the ground. Um, Fortunately, I had a great co-founder, a technical co-founder. Um, so he was the one who developed all the software that we needed. And, and um, now he's our, our chief operating officer. Um, we're still obviously building this company. Um, but I've learned a lot over the last seven years. I think the biggest thing for me personally was um, I was still living at home. So I graduated college and I was still living with my parents. And it, it gave me a little bit of a backstop because you know I wasn't paying rent. You know, my, my cost of living was really low. And I was able to, to invest essentially my time and energy into building this business. Right. And, um, you know, knowing that I, you know, I didn't have to, I wasn't going to miss rent or things like that gave me mm-hmm. a little bit more freedom. And that's not the case for everybody. So I was in a bit of a privileged situation. Um, you know, again, I grew up in Montreal. I went to school in Montreal. I started the company in Montreal. It was a little bit of a different journey through college than a lot of other people will have when they go away for school and, you know, you rack up right. student debt. Like that wasn't really the case for me. Again, college in Canada is also much cheaper, about $3,000 right. a year for, you know, a, a pretty amazing school. So <laughs> you don't, you don't end up in the same situation. Um, and I was fortunate you know, and I acknowledge that privilege. Um, but at the same time, I didn't know anything. <laughs> so I was learning a lot and um, it's been a journey. I still well, feel like I don't know anything. <laughs> well, and that kind of leads me to my question. I'm like, like now looking back on that, is there, is there one thing or, or like that you're like, Oh, that was the thing I wish I knew before I did this. Or was the whole thing like that? <laughs> well, I didn't know anything about venture capital and okay. you know, we're a venture backed business. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't even really know what that meant. Right. And mm-hmm. that, that can be a little bit strange if you're going in and pitching investors and you don't really understand why and how they right. work and what their business model is. And a lot of the other technology companies are founded by folks who may have studied business or may have had a little right. bit more exposure to that world. I, I didn't have that. And so I think I probably embarrassed myself quite a bit in some of those pitches in the early days. Um, but you learn and, and um, I had some really great mentors and advisors early on. And I don't really know why they were giving me time. Right. I was just some, you know, some teacher who wanted to make a difference. And I think they, they saw the passion I had for what I was trying to build and what we we're, you know, what we wanted to do with paper that they, they were supportive and, and coached me up. And eventually um, we ended up getting our, our first financing. Um, well, we got accepted into an accelerator program, which, you know, for listeners who may not be familiar with what that means, an accelerator program is basically like a three-month program where your business doesn't really have much and they're going to teach you a lot that you're going to, they basically put you through this sort of stress test and you learn an enormous amount. And really that was my, my sort of equivalent to a college education that came to startups. And, um, and with that, it came a $50,000 investment in the company. They take a stake of the business, of course, but um, and at the time I felt fifty thousand dollars was you know you feel like you won the lottery, you know, right. and I was like, what are we going to do with all this money? We're going to build this, <laughs> we're going to be the next Google, you know. Um, but you realize pretty quickly that fifty thousand evaporates, uh, right? And anyway, I learned that. <laughs> well, so I'm just thinking about uh, if you've watched the show Silicon Valley at all, yeah. you know, where the they basically ran the incubator out of the house and we're investing in all these little companies yep. and most of them were crap and whatever. And then finally Pied Piper takes off or whatever. So, uh, you know, just hearing your words, it just reminded me of that, just seeing how much they struggled. I'm sure the struggle was uh, really, really severe there in the beginning. So now, so we, we got a little bit of the story then about how you got started, why you got started. So now what exactly does paper do? So like, right. I mean, just the name alone, I hear paper. I'm like, oh, you're you're like Dunder Mifflin or something like that. No, you're not <laughs> Dunder Mifflin. So, so tell us a little bit about what your company does. Right. Yeah. So the, the big issue I had seen in the classroom was the fact that, you know, there were these inequities around academic support, right? The wealthier families were paying for private tutoring and everybody else was sort of left with, you know, limited resources. And, um, what paper does is partner directly with school districts. So we partner with the, the school district and they essentially buy licenses for all the students to have access to our platform. 
and on the platform, every student gets 24 seven unlimited access to private tutoring. It's all online, it's chat-based. So students are able to, to come online anytime they're stuck and there's somebody there to support them. Um, and we built the software, it integrates into the school district's technology stack. So if they're using Clever or Google Classroom or whatever, it's all single sign-on, really simple. You know, we'll pull the rostering from whatever SIS is being used. You know, all, all of that has been, um, has been simplified for quick onboarding. And then once we have it live, students are able to, to access that, that support anytime they need, whenever they want to, for whatever class they need help with, um, as long as they need. So then are you K-12 or UK higher ed? How's that work? So we, we sell K-12. I would say the platform as it is today is probably best tailored for sort of fourth grade to 12th grade. Because the nature of a lot right. of the interaction is instant messaging based. Right. Now, a lot of communities and a lot of districts will actually buy it K to 12 because they're, they want to say, hey, we support every one of these students. And in most cases, especially for the younger students, the Ks and the ones, it's going to be the parents who will log on, right? They'll be sitting with their, you know, with their child. And right. um, that's sort of the, the use case for them, which is great. You know, I think I also think that that plays a really important role. Because for so many parents, they might know how to, to add one plus one, but being able to teach it to, you know, to a five or six year old is very different. And so having somebody with that experience on the other side can kind of coach them up a little bit uh, and walk through everything. Uh, but yeah, the platform is available K-12. So then with that, with that K-12, so did you see, I guess, I guess clearly with the pandemic happening and more kids doing uh, learning at home, did you see like a, a, a big bump in your business, <laughs> I guess, yeah. or more districts reaching out to you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the business is, is seven and a half years old, but I really think of it sort of split into two periods of time. The first four years, really three and a half years were spent building a lot of the software and understanding how are we going to manage the service side? Because all the tutors are employees of the company. We employ over 2,000 tutors. And so they all work for us. And how do you manage them, schedule them, make sure that they get matched with the best, with the right student for a subject area they can teach? All of that's quite complex. And it's like, imagine running a, a call center where you need to be able to respond to, you know, hundreds of different topics at, you know, over a dozen grade levels in multiple languages. It's really complicated. Um, so we built the software over about four years and we only started selling it. This is our fourth school year. So about three and a half years ago is when we, we first started selling it in schools. Um, and so we were growing quite rapidly pre-pandemic. And I think the problem that we solved actually has nothing to do with the pandemic or, or school closures or anything like that. It was highlighted by that, no question. The biggest catalyst for us over the last two years has been the broader adoption of technology in schools and the fact that billions of dollars were spent nationally on hardware, on network infrastructure connectivity, making sure that students have the resources to be able to learn from home, which wasn't necessarily the case before, right? And, and um, pre-pandemic, you had about 60% of school right. districts who were one-to-one -one with devices or had plans of being one-to-one. -one. By the time kids came back to school in, in August of 2020, so about four months and five months into the pandemic, that number had risen to 95%. So it took 15 years or so to get to 60% and then four months to go from 60 to 95. And what that meant was that schools could now start thinking about this from a different, like they, they were solving their problems, other problems, but they knew now that they had technology that every student had a device. So it allowed them to make decisions differently than they had before. And a solution like paper was a natural fit because they're all trying to figure out how do we better support our students academically? Well, now we know they all have devices. They're all connected, right? There's a solution that exists out there that's being used by lots of districts already. And so it's been validated and vetted. Um, we can just plug that into our existing technology. So, Hypothetical situation. I'm a school, I'm a district that has purchased um, site program for my students. So, you know, we'll say 500 students or whatever. Once you have the program is with the students and you show them how to log in and everything, is it something that this kid needs help with their algebra right now? So they can go on and there's a, is there a spot in the, in the website or whatever where algebra help and then It'll just be a couple minutes. Well, like, wait till we match you with somebody, or, or is it something where, 
like once a student signs up and starts interacting and it takes a couple of days to match with a person before they can get the help. So uh, I'm just, I'm thinking of so many different scenarios, how this could work. And I'm just interested in how it does. Yeah, no. So um, I think we get, uh, we get in a lot of trouble if it took, it took a couple of minutes to match students with tears. It's a matter of seconds, literally. Um, wow. And the way it works is that the students will actually see their roster, their classes rostered in front of them on the platform. So they'll see you know, Mr. Cutler's math class um, and whatever other classes that, they, that they're taking. And they just click the tile and we already know what topics are covered in those classes. So in real time, they're matched with a tutor. It takes you know, on average 15, maybe 20 seconds to get matched. And then once that's made, they're connected and, and chatting with that, with that tutor. So then do those tutors have access to like, cause there's a variety of curriculum and I, and I, 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 and I mean, you know, algebra is algebra is algebra, but there can be specific, like we're using this particular curriculum. Is it, is it that fine tuned? So that's a great question. And one that pretty much every district asks us. So we're, we're curriculum agnostic. The way we focus is more on the inquiry itself. So our tutors are expecting the students to come with a specific question. We're not there to replace okay. the teacher. The teacher needs to know the curriculum and teach the curriculum. Right. We're there to support the student with their inquiries. And a student's not going to come on paper and say, teach me math. Right. They're going to come on and say, I'm having trouble with my math problem X, you know, or X okay. equals seven. I need to solve for whatever. Right. You know, um, and so the, the way we train our tutors is to follow the Socratic teaching principles. Right. So they're coaching a lot more than direct instruction. We normally don't position ourselves as saying, hey, we're the primary source of instruction. The classroom teacher is responsible. Okay. You know, a student comes on and says like, hey, I missed today you know, what we did in class. What did we do? Our tutor's not going to be able to help with that. Our tutors are there to answer right. a specific question. You know, uh, 5X plus 7 right. you know, equals 12. You know, what does X equal? I don't really know what the first step is. So that's okay. typically the, the use case. Um, you'll have students who are really lost as well, and they need to really work through a concept, and that's fine as well. Um, but a lot of the way we coach up the, the the tutors to support the students is going to be asking questions and guiding the students in the right direction. So with a typical interaction, which, I mean, I, I throw that term out very loosely, how long are you saying, like, the typical interaction is going to be? Is it yeah. a couple of minutes, maybe a half an hour? What, what are we looking at here? Yeah, average is about 22 minutes. And we have, you know, there, there, there's a wide standard deviation there. Um, you'll have students who come on for five minutes for what right. we call validation. And that's like, you know, I'm working, I'm about to work on this right. problem. I want to make sure I'm on the right track, right? Okay. You know, is this the right step? That type of thing. You know, I just, I don't want to spend the next 45 minutes working on this problem to find out that something early on I just didn't understand properly. Right. So we see a lot of use use cases like that. And then we have a lot of students who come on and they'll open paper as they're doing their homework. And they're not even interacting the entire time with the tutor. They just know that somebody's there with them. And that tutor right. is just going to sit there and that tutor is working with multiple students, right? Okay. It's not just one-on-one -on -one with that with that one student. That's part of the chat nature of it and it allows it to be really easy to do. Um, but the tutor, you know, is there to support that student and they might ask two or three questions over an hour or two, but they just have it open and it's there for them. And, and it's like having someone sitting next to you. Right. So it's so, strictly chat based. There's no like video interaction. Is there an exchange yeah. of like pictures? Like if I was having trouble with something, I take right. a snapshot of uh, my problem. I could, could I attach that in the chat for the tutor to see? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. And we have mobile apps as well. So um, about 25% of sessions start with the student taking a photo of what they're working on. That's, okay. that's quite common. There's also a whiteboard that they can work on and then they can actually sort of like collaboratively go back and forth on that, which is popular. Okay. Um, again, it depends on the type of learner, but the interactions are, are all sort of, so we call it asynchronous synchronous. And what I mean by that is from the student's perspective, they're getting a response immediately. There's somebody there mm -hmm. who's right available for them. But that student can then choose to consume that information and respond whenever they want it. And that's different than being on a phone or a live chat. And right. When we initially had launched, we, we tested our platform with a number of students and um, it was video conferencing based. And a lot of students were disabling their camera or they were blocking yeah. it. And we, I thought this was super right. strange, right? We'd actually built the software that allowed us to, to stream through 
uh, through the browser, similar to StreamYard. Right. You know, it's it's the way that um, you know it was it was leveraging browsers. It was called WebRTC. It was okay. you know, really interesting. This was back in like 2014, 2015. It was, it was quite cutting edge. Um, and in the end, we had to scrap all of that and basically over like a few hours built a messaging interface to replace it all. And so <laughs> it, that so, was one of the interesting learnings over the years. So everybody should just talk to you when we all started teaching this remote learning. And that was like a big deal. It was like, people were like, kids turn off their cameras all the time. And it was like, well, yeah, they do. And my, my son works for a startup and he does a bunch of video stuff. And he's like, you guys have your cameras on? Nobody has their cameras on in business. Everybody turns their cameras off. I was like, oh, I didn't know that was a thing. Um, but Phil, I, Philip, I had a question about like, how do you get your tutors? That's I'm interested in that, like, like, because it sounds like you have to get them, but then you also have to train them. So that's like a whole separate thing, right? Yeah, yeah. A, a huge part of our business is dedicated to both what we call tutor recruiting, which is our, our recruiting arm for the tutors. We hire anywhere from like 75 to 150 a week when we're, when we're hiring. Um, so it's, it's, it's actually quite a, a process um, right. that we've developed and then we train them all. So they get hired and most of them will already have obviously like the content area knowledge. Many of them are teachers. Some of them are studying to be teachers. You get a, a bit of a range of uh, you know what their uh, backgrounds are. And then once they're, once they're hired and they're part of the company, they're trained into being the best paper tutors. And we built a whole program that, that we go through. We have our own learning management system that has the course that they work their way through and, and essentially um, make sure that they know. I mean, a big part of being a great tutor is actually the customer service aspect of it. It's like sort of being supportive and listening and, and being right. there for the student. Um, and that's something that we really work hard on training the students with, especially over chat. The use of emojis is really important. The language that you use matters. Punctuation matters. These small things that we take for granted in our daily communication because we know the people better, it's really, really important. So now the million dollar question directly tied to money. See what I did there? How much does this cost? Is there a pricing plan depending on how big yeah. your district is? Um, individual licenses? What kind, of, what kind of pricing plan is there? Yeah, it's, it's only sold at district level and right. they're paying okay. a per student, per student annual license. Um, so let's say the district has a thousand students. Um, they'll be paying somewhere between fifty and a hundred dollars per student. It, it really okay. varies based on the size of the district. Um, we work with some of the largest in the country. Um, you know, we're in Clark County now, so that's just starting up, which is exciting. Um, but we work with Hillsborough County, Palm Beach County, so seventh and tenth largest right. in the country. Um, and we work with some of the smallest districts, with you know six, seven hundred students and everything in between. That's exciting because uh, when when you said that you did it only at district level, I, I deflated a little bit because I'm thinking like, oh, there's no way that this is going to be district level in Clark County because we have 310, 320,000 students. But um, now I'm excited because this is something that yeah. if, if, I was going to say, if I could get like individual license just for students on my caseload, even um, my special <laughs> caseload, that would be incredible. So. No, this is exciting to know that you're in Clark County now because uh, this was something I was going to go to my principal and say, "Hey, we can do this at the school level. This is awesome." Well, we could sign we sign you guys. I mean, I think we had maybe five or ten thousand licenses in the first um, in the sort of first approval at Clark in Clark County. Um, right. Goal is to to prove it out, especially with some of the bigger districts. We'll have these planned rollouts where we'll right. we'll get to the 350. It's not going to turn on overnight. Um, we have done that as well with, with Hillsborough and Palm Beach. Um, you know, they're okay. both 230, 240,000 student districts. Um, we turned on all their six to 12s at once, um, which okay. was, which, you know, is, is, is interesting. Um, over a hundred thousand students in both those cases. Uh, but yeah, we usually will have like a very tailored rollout plan within right. the district to try and make sure it's as successful as possible. Right. And that, that makes sense because a big district's going to want to see like what is like are kids accessing it, how's it working, that kind of thing. And then and then they yeah, go absolutely. through it, and then they'll purchase more licenses. I'm assuming. Yeah, I mean, generally speaking, I would say nine times out of ten, the district is going district wide immediately, and then the right. rollout plan is staggered. Okay. So they'll they'll approve it for everybody. Um, we'll start building the plan, and we'll start with the school sites where they know the teachers or the the principal is most engaged, and right. these things will will be successful. Because you don't want to boil the ocean, right? You right. need to sort of start with very strategic rollouts. And the other piece of it is we don't want to limit the access to students. 
just because right. it may not be introduced to those teachers right away, the students will still have access. So the marketing materials within the district okay. will go out to all the parents and they'll be you know, on Twitter right. and other social media and all that. Um, so we're not limiting the access, but the rollout plan is staggered. Okay, that makes sense. Well, where can we find more information yeah. on paper and then also listeners connect with you on websites, social media, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, uh, website is, is paper.co. You can literally search Google for paper. It will be the first thing that pops up, which was uh, which is pretty cool. That was a huge milestone. That, that's, really, no, that, that was a huge milestone. That is a huge deal for you to, like the first thing on a Google search. Yeah, people pay millions of dollars for that. They do. And uh, believe it or not, it, you know, we... Um, we, we, it didn't take us that long to, to, to sort of, there aren't a ton of company. Well, there's no other companies called paper, believe it or not. Um, but there's not a ton of, of keywords with paper in it. Um, so anyway, oh, yeah. we were able to do that. And okay. if you want to learn more about myself, um, you know, I'd say the best place is connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm very approachable. I get pinged, I'd say once or twice a week by a lot of teachers who are considering their transitions out of the classroom. Right. We also hire I mean, we hire anywhere from 15 to 20 people on our corporate team every week. And wow. an enormous amount of them are former teachers. I mean, every cohort of new hires, we've got a handful of teachers who are coming from all over the place. Um, you know, all different types of roles too. We've got some that are in sales positions, some that are on that service okay. team. So they're responsible for learning and development and everything right. in between. Well, yeah, yeah I, I'm actually I on the website right now looking at just some of the open positions and there's <laughs> there's some that are district based um like Ooh. for example one uh Santa Ana uh Unified down by Los Angeles uh, as an yep. opening and you know just Ooh. all sorts of stuff here so I I'm not encouraging anybody to leave education <laughs> by any means however if you are looking for a change maybe you're retiring or something looks like there's a lot of good openings uh, here and a lot of them are remote positions it's so the whole company is remote yeah we're we're fully distributed um, nice. So folks can be anywhere. Our big contracts, uh, you mentioned Santa Ana. I mean, we're in Columbus right. City Schools as well. Like we're in a lot okay. of these big districts. In those cases, we'll actually have on-site dedicated okay. customer success people who will right. be there in the district every day. So they're going to make sure that the implementation is done is successful. They'll train the teachers. They'll be at parent webinars or events. Um, they'll be doing whatever they need to do on-site. Cool. Well, I, I definitely think if people are out there and you're thinking about like taking your side hustle and turning it into like kind of what you're doing, like turning it into a company, I mean, clearly it's taken you a while to get to this, this position, but definitely I think people should, you know, that would be cool to connect with you. Cause it sounds like you, you're, you're a guy who, who took something you saw in need and then you, you just went for it. I mean, that's, that takes a lot. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're, as an organization, we're incredibly mission driven mission oriented and i think everybody who comes and joins the company um they share that mission right we want to make a more equitable mm -hmm. education system we want to help every student reach their potential and um, you know it, it attracts a lot of folks to to come be part of a company like that we're not just another tech company we're really making the world a better place well philip we can't thank you enough for taking some time out of your busy schedule and um you're you're working right now i mean yeah. you're out of country uh in arizona and we can't thank you enough for joining us yeah. and having a beer with us and talking to us about this incredible tool that i can't wait to learn more about <laughs> well yeah, my pleasure fun. gentlemen thank you so much for having me on here and for all the listeners if you do ever want to connect i'm on linkedin phil cutler you can add me on twitter as well at pa cutler um definitely love to hear from you Thanks, Phil. It was awesome talking to you. Yeah, I, it was the, such a cool idea. Thank you. Yeah, so thank you, Phil, for joining us. And listeners, let's keep this conversation going. Share some of your thoughts on today's topics by emailing us at info at beeredupodcast.com. You can tweet us at beeredupod using hashtag beeredupod. Hit us up on Facebook at beeredupodcast. That is all one word. You can follow us on Instagram at beeredupod. Our YouTube channel is at bit.ly slash beeredu YouTube, where you can watch our recordings live as they happen. And again, make sure you are following Phil on Twitter at PA Cutler. You can send us a voice message using the Anchor app. Leave us a review wherever you are listening so more can find it. And if they would like to be a guest on the show, Ben, what do they have to do? Yeah, so please go to our website, beeredupodcast.com. You click on that contact and subscription info link. And then super simple, you fill out a guest form and then it gets you right into the queue. So 
We would love to have you on the show. And then I think really we would be remiss if we didn't thank some of the people that help promote Beer EDU Pod. So definitely thank you to School Rubric. They are featuring the Beer EDU Podcast and the mission of School Rubric is to help schools, educators, parents, and students tell their stories so that stakeholders can make the best choices about enrollment, staffing, and you can check them out at schoolrubric.com and find more great content from educators around the world. And then we're also part of the Codebreaker Podcast Network. So please go check out codebreakeredu.com. You can find other amazing educational podcasts like Staff Room Podcast, STEM Every Day, Teachers on Fire, My Ed Tech Life, um, so many others. So definitely check them out. And now this is the part where we're going to learn about some stuff. And Kyle, what do you got for us? This so, week? you know, we were mentioning earlier in the podcast, Untapped, and how yes. you know, we both use that app and lots of our friends use that app. And the it, again, if you're not familiar with it, if you're a first-time listener or if you just don't aren't familiar with the Untapped app, it's social media for beer. And when you check yeah. into beers, you earn badges based on styles you're drinking, where you're drinking them at, those kinds of things. And one of the badges that is on Untapped is one called Wheel of Styles, where for every five different styles of beer, you earn the badge and it levels up. Yep. So um, I believe that I have drank over 165 different styles of beer in the five Ooh. or so years that I've been on Untapped. So my, my uh, badges definitely leveled up pretty high. So now I checked into one recently. And it was the rock beer from our uh, one of our last episodes. Yeah. And that earned me the next level on there. So when I clicked on it, it showed me the list of all the different styles I've had and then a list of styles I haven't had yet. So I went through that list a little bit and started looking to see what kinds of beers have I not had. And now I've got a right. whole list of styles of beers that we can do learnabouts on because there are some that I have never heard of. And one of them is a pastry stout. Yeah, I saw that. I'm all, what is a pastry stout? Okay, so now, again, I found this. I learned about it strictly from that Wheel of Styles badge. It is not an official style granted recognition by the Great American Beer Festival. So there's not a pastry stout category when you go to that festival. But it's something that it's starting to take off a little bit more. Untapped and other beer websites are recognizing it as a style. But again, it's just not an official one like the uh, at the Great American Beer Festival. So what this is, it's a term that refers to a stout that's supposed to mimic the flavors of a dessert. So we've talked okay. about dessert type beers before. This right. is like your quintessential dessert beer. So initially it was a put down, like this was not a compliment. It was one for like, oh. you get those stouts that are super sweet and right. like, like, why would you drink this? This is ridiculous kind of deal. Oftentimes these are stouts that are adjuncted with ingredients you would find in a dessert. Chocolate's a great one uh, example. Okay. Maple syrup, combinations of those things. So basically anything, if it could be a dessert related yeah. and it can go into a beer, that's what we're talking about here. Now, some will argue that any stout with anything like this, chocolate, maple syrup, marshmallow right. flavor, whatever, that could be considered a pastry stout. But then others are going to say that if the adjunct flavors aren't over the top, quote unquote, then it shouldn't be. So like if you get like a milk stout, that has a little bit of cinnamon and vanilla added to it to make it like okay. a Mexican hot chocolate style or something. Right. But it's not like over the top. That should still be considered like just a standard milk stout or something like that. Oh, okay. So now other people will go as far as comparing this to dessert wines. So I know our wives are both into wine and dessert right. wines. Those are those ones that are super, super sweet. Like right. you have them after your meal. Um, so the big thing is that your beer needs to be balanced. You're just not going to be able to start throwing in like cherry pie filling, chocolate and everything, mix it with beer right. and then call it a beer. Because again, it, it's got to be balanced. Otherwise it's not going to be drinkable. It's going to be terrible. And then right. off flavors can still come through if you don't do a good job with the base beer. Like you can't just okay. dump a bunch of stuff in a crap beer and then call it like a pastry stout or something like that. The thing that a lot of people say is that if you put the flavor on the label, you should be able to taste it, but again, it has to be okay. balanced. You don't want it to be out of control. So now I tried my best to find examples, but I mean, these are a lot of times they're one-offs. They're not like ones that breweries like year round, just kid continue brewing or like one of our favorites, uh, Pliny the Elder, when they do the Pliny right. the Younger, 
you know, something right. you wait for that time of year to go get, which oh, right. I still have not gotten that. We need to get a hold no. of it. No, it's on my list. Yeah, so I would say if you're interested in finding these, check your big box wine and beer store. They may have okay. something. Check your breweries out. If they're brewing one-off stouts, they could be pastry stouts. Tanea Creek okay. here in Las Vegas, they don't call them pastry stouts, but they're base stout hauling oats. They will add, they yes. do different one-offs with them. Like they, they did this one a few years ago that had dark chocolate and um, toasted almonds in it. So okay. it kind of had like this biscotti flavor to it. It was incredible, but I don't think they don't call it pastry stout there. But I mean, to me that it could have been a pastry stout for all I know. And I kind of feel like chocolate is a standard. I don't want to say, I don't want to say every stout, but I think it's a very common flavor profile that they will use in a stout. Yeah. Well, and chocolate's a flavor that comes Old out coffee. just through natural roasting anyway, but right. then sometimes they add it though too. So, but yeah, so I never knew pastry anything stout. about this and here we go. So I don't know. Go, what, was, what was your, what was your wheel of style? What number were you on there? I believe it was level 34. I'm at now. I, uh, I don't know. I'm like, I, I, I'm way behind you. I know that. I am not level 34. I was just, that's funny that you said that. I am. Try, I was trying to find mine. So I'll have to look that up later. I was looking at my badges. So, yeah. I, and, and if you're not, and if you're listening to the show and you're, you drink beer and you're not on Untapped, I highly encourage you. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I, I like it because I love that idea of gamification and the badges yeah. and all that stuff. And I'm like, ooh, I'm level whatever. And, and I will go out. I will. I will totally own this. I will go out of my way at a brewery to try a different beer because of Untapped. Because Absolutely, I'm, like, I'm the know same I've way. I've never had this one, and I want to try it. So I, I feel like it's it's broadened my horizons as a as a as a beer drinker. Yeah, and I'm actually going. I'm adding to the show notes right now our Untapped names. I'm Anderson Edtech, and Ben is yep. a B Dixon NV, just like our yep. other names on social media so if you're not on it get on it and if you are that's where you can find us and i'm level 20 so i'm okay. way i'm behind you i gotta kick up my game man yeah there you go <laughs> so well that's episode 119 yes. we got episode 120 coming up next yes so hey check us out people thank you for being here thanks to phil thank you for being an awesome guest yes and listeners thank you as always until next time may the malts and the hops be with you right on <laughs>